hello and welcome to the Sam Fiction and Fantasy Fun Podcast. This is episode four of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of what happened in the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'll be discussing chapter four of book one, The Last Wish. And before I dive into that, I want to call out a mistake from the last episode when I was talking about the possibility, yeah, possibility of people feeling prejudiced towards witchers. I said there was one example of that, and it came from the Knights of the White Rose, and that it was possible they just didn't like Geralt in particular, but they also could be against witchers. I forgot about an example from the chapter where there was that conversation between Geralt and Renfri's men, and one of her dudes, Sivril, the guy he was the half-elf, he says that witchers should be burned, says some other unkind things. But with that example, it does seem like there is a bit of general bias against witchers past the whole white rose thing. I just wanted to clear that up because I'm trying to maintain some consistency. And if I ever want to call back things, like if something comes up in a future chapter that is related to something that we speculated about in the past, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, just being as accurate as I possibly can, which I feel like should be easy because I read these chapters so many times to prepare for each episode. But anyway, um, yeah, let's talk about, uh, let's go into a recap of the last episode. As aside from the mistakes that I made, let's, let's recap uh, what we talked about. And then we'll go into the summary of the chapter we're talking about today. So in case you missed it or you need a refresher on the last episode, the discussion was about chapter three, where in the voice of reason section, two unreasonable knights from an order known as the White Rose showed up to the temple to demand that Geralt leave immediately. When their demands are not met by Geralt and Neneke, they threaten to return. In the short story, The Lesser Evil, Geralt is in the town of Blaviken, where the town's wizard, Stregobor, asks Geralt to kill what he believes is a cursed princess who's in town seeking revenge on him. Geralt meets the princess, her name's Renfri, and she asks Geralt to kill Stregobor. Geralt has no interest in choosing either until he is eventually forced to make a choice or otherwise let innocents die, as Renfri and her gang are planning to kill Blaviken's citizens until Stregobor submits to Renfri. Geralt prevents this by killing Renfri and her gang, and that results in the townspeople trying to stone Geralt, and then the town's elderman permanently banishing him. All right, so here comes the summary from, yeah, chapter four, which begins as usual with a section from The Voice of Reason, and this is where Geralt and the silent Iola sit together in the gardens of Melitale's temple. Because Iola is silent, Geralt does all the talking, uncovering a lot of details about witchers, how they came to be, about Kaer Morhen, the witcher's keep, and about Vesemir, his foster father who lives at Kaer Morhen. He also mentions some unclear things about a place called Sintra, a child, and he brings up for the second time in a Voice of Reason section a woman named Yennefer, although he still doesn't explain who she is to him. From here we begin the short story of chapter four titled, A Question of Price. With the assistance of servants and the castellan named Haxo, 
Geralt is getting ready for a banquet hosted by Queen Calanthe of Sintra. He is given other clothes to wear to appear more formal and to help disguise him as a knight called Ravix of Fourhorn. The banquet is being held because Sintra's princess, Pavetta, just turned 15 years old and contenders for her hand have turned up by the dozen. Geralt asks Haxo why he was invited and is told that the queen wants to ensure that Sintra becomes allied with Skellige and that uh, witcher services are required to ensure this outcome. But in private, Haxo discloses that there's been sightings in the castle at night of a hunchback monster wrestling like an urchin. At the banquet, Geralt is seated directly next to Queen Calanthe. During the dinner, he has a lengthy discussion with Calanthe about how she and other rulers see witchers as hired thugs and whether or not she has invited him for the right reasons. He also asks her to clarify the task she has for him, but she doesn't outright tell him what he's to do. Outside of their discussion, there is the usual merriment and conversations you would expect at a party, from Skelligers talking about battle strategy to a local baron named Kud Kudak, that name's kind of a mouthful, uh, amusing guests with animal impressions. Before long, Princess Pavetta joins the dinner. She's very solemn and quiet, but her beauty attracts the attention of many of the guests. The banquet proceeds, but is shortly interrupted by an uninvited guest clad in armor and helmet announcing himself to the queen as Urchian of Erlingwald. Urchian explains he's come to collect his promised reward for saving King Rogner's life 15 years ago. By the law of surprise, Princess Pavetta, Rogner's daughter, has belonged to him from the day of her birth. Through the law of surprise, a man who saves another can demand the first thing he finds upon his return home but did not expect. In this particular situation, Rogner returned home to find Calanthe in labor with Pavetta. The queen asks Urchian to remove his helmet, but he says due to his knight's vows, he cannot do so until midnight. Tension starts to build as the queen shows she has no intention of allowing Pavetta to leave with Urchian. Geralt and the druid from Skellige, Mausak, silently communicate, mostly through meaningful glances and Mausak's magical arrangements of breadcrumbs, that both have noticed the presence of a magical force and that it seems to have become more prominent after Urchian's arrival. Geralt steps up to try and prevent one of his angry guests, sorry, one of the angry guests from making a show of anger or possibly violence and announces that with the law of surprise, Urchian would have no right to Pavetta until destiny confirms it through Pavetta's consent to leave with Urchian. This is reinforced by Mausak, who says, Geralt, as a witcher, was a child surprised himself and would therefore understand it better than anyone. The bell announcing midnight rings and Urchin removes his helmet, revealing his hedgehog-like face with features like twitching prickles and bristles and a snout containing fangs. Calanthe demands Pavetta to make a choice, and when she does, she agrees to leave with him, proving de uh, destiny is on Urchin's side. Urchian demands Calanthe to place Pavetta's hand in his, and with this, the uproar amongst the guests reaches its peak and all hell breaks loose. Some of the guests and castle guards try to attack Urchian, who is eventually defended by Geralt and one of the Skelligan knights by the name of Iced, but one of the attackers manages to stab Urchian, and it's at this moment that the force Geralt and Mausak have been sensing explodes from Pavetta. The furniture, dishes, even people are thrown all around the room. Geralt makes his way over to Mausak, and the two try to use their magic to stop Pavetta, but her power is too strong. 
It isn't until the guest Kudkadak distracts Pavetta with a combination of what appears to be every animal noise and the sound that comes from his stra- strangling of bagpipes that Gal and Mousesack are able to effectively use their magic to get her to release hers. Now that the pandemonium has cooled off, Calanthe demands ice to Pavetta, Mousesack, Geralt, and Dooney, who up until now we knew as Urchian, to meet her in her chamber. Along with learning his real name to be Dooney, everyone is also unfamiliar with his human appearance that came about after the clock struck midnight because the bell that they first heard was rang prematurely. In the Queen's Chamber, Dooney explains that he was cursed by an unknown mage as a child, turning him into Urchian from dawn until midnight every day, and that he heard that the law of surprise could break the spell, which has now been verified with the coming of dawn and his features remaining in their human form. In addition to this revelation, Pavetta admits that she and Dooney have been secret lovers for the past year. We also learn here that the desired marriage alliance with Skellige will come true after all, as Queen Calanthe is accepting Ice's proposal. Sorry, that was kind of hard to say. Uh, Ice is like, yeah. <laughs> Calanthe accepts Pavetta and Dooney's love for each other and allows them to be together. As a result of saving his life, he offers Geralt whatever he asks for. Geralt asks for that which you already have but do not know in hopes that destiny will be kind and present him with a child surprise of his own as there are no new witchers to pass their knowledge and gift onto. It is then revealed to everyone that Pavetta is pregnant. So let's talk about this child surprise thing. This is the first we've heard of this in the story. And it seems to have a lot of meaning and importance behind it. Uh, Geralt tells Dooney he'll return to Sintra in six years' time to see if Destiny's been kind to him. But the weird thing about that is, before we even read this part, in the Voice of Reason segment of this chapter, which always comes first, he tells Iola he'll never return to Sintra, and even understands that Pavetta and Dooney's child would have been born by now. So why the change of heart, Geralt? <laughs> what provoked him to request this in the first place? And this is something I'm asking and do not have an answer for, at least up till now. We don't know what was going on in Geralt's head when he requested this and when he later decided he wanted nothing to do with it. It's pretty strange. Uh, I His reasoning seemed... I almost said reasonable, but uh, his reasoning seemed good enough. You know, he, he wanted more, he wanted to be able to teach more witchers how, or he wanted to be able to train more witchers because he says something along the lines of there's evil that is waiting for the extinction of witchers. Um, and there really aren't that many left of them. They're dying out. So... For him to try to take advantage of this opportunity and create a whole new young witcher, it's, it seems valid. But then later he's he's just not about it. He seems like he very much regretted uh, requesting this child surprise or, or invoking the law of surprise. It's weird. I want to know what it's about, but 
as of the end of this chapter, we don't know. Maybe we'll find out soon. Maybe we will never find out. I don't know. Um, I mean, I do know. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I do know. But yeah, I'm curious as to when we're going to get to the bottom of it. If we get to the bottom of it. Um, keeping this spoiler free for anybody who hasn't read the books before or knows anything about how the story goes. So anyway, Garrett seems to have a tendency to interfere in human affairs. So he explains to Iola in the beginning of the chapter that during his Witcher training, it was stressed repeatedly not to get tangled up in human affairs and to only kill monsters for pay. Like, just do your job. Don't play at being a knight errant. Don't try to uphold the law. Just kill monsters, get paid, move on to the next one. We see that he does not stick to this. <laughs> his first monster, quote unquote monster, was a human. He, this is the story he explains to Iola. Uh, yeah, so his first monster was a human attempting to force himself on a young girl. And Gerald admits he killed this man because he wanted the praise that should have but didn't actually come from rescuing her. He, he kills the guy. And the girl that he saved was so terrified of him that she actually passed out. And her father, who was present in that moment, uh, ran away out of fear. Just left his daughter there after she just got attacked. So that was one example of him interfering with like human stuff, like human issues. And I mean, you can always say, oh, well, that was, he explains, that was the first thing that he came across after he completed his witcher training and earned his guild badge and you know he just was maybe excited to get started and he was just kind of trying to show off with his new abilities but it continues and we see an extremely notable example of this in the lesser evil story where he does get very much tangled up in the whole issue with renfrey and stregovor and it leads to him gaining some infamy. And then we see it again here in A Question of Price when he decides to interfere. Uh, he, he, there is a job. He's there to do a witcher job. But he doesn't do the job that he reluctantly accepts because it has to do with, you know, not just killing a monster for pay. Um, but he ends up defending Dooney, who he would have allowed to be killed if he just stuck to his whole thing about not getting involved and remaining neutral. So I think it's important to the story that he got involved, but still, it's just he seems to frequently get involved and not remain neutral when that's a big theme with Geralt and with witchers. So we find out a little bit more about some magic and that is through Pavetta's powers. So with Pavetta's whole thing, the whole force thing that she has access to, uh, it skipped a generation, they tell us. Um, so her grandmother had magic powers, but Calanthe, her mother, doesn't have any. And we also know she has no control over it. Calanthe uh, actually has Mausak or requests Mausak to stay in Sintra and help her 
learn to control her power so that if she has another burst of rage or whatever that might cause it, um, she actually knows what she's doing. She doesn't harm anybody because a lot of people got hurt after what happened there. And um, speaking of Mausak, he calls it a primordial force. And he also notes that versions don't have access to the force. So I think that was kind of mentioned as a hint that Pavetta and Dooney have been together uh, before that night. So they were not just meeting each other at that time. We also get to see more curses. This is a very common theme in The Last Wish up to this point. At every story so far, there has been somebody who's been cursed. So in the first chapter, we have the Striga, who was cursed to be a Striga, was a 14-year-old princess. And then in the second story, we had Nivellen, who was cursed to be a beast. And then he also had that nice little perk with his curse that he had a smart house. And in the third story, kind of, sort of, there was a curse, the whole curse of the Black Sun, which, you know, we never find out one way or the other if that's true. And then again, we see another curse. And this story with Dooney, who is turned into a hedgehog man, like a humanoid hedgehog, from dawn until midnight every day. And now that I think about it, I think, eh, okay, so with the exception of the lesser evil, the curse gets broken with the help of Geralt in every story. So in the first story, the Striga's curse was broken through Geralt doing the whole thing where he didn't allow her to get into her sarcophagus and or by morning. And then he helped Nivellen break his curse by helping him kill his vampire lover. You know, the third story in The Lesser Evil. I mean, I guess if Renfrey was cursed, it, the curse was gone when he killed her. <laughs> so you could make the argument that if she was in fact cursed, then he got rid of the curse, not in the most ideal way, but whatever. And then he helps Dooney break his curse. So Geralt is uh, definitely a good guy to have around. If you ever happen to get cursed, uh, try to find Geralt's phone number so he can help you. One of the things I thought uh, was cool because we learn a decent amount in just one story is we learn about the country of Skellige. So Skellige is a collection of islands and the characters in this story that are from there. So we have Iced. I don't want to even try and say what his last name is. I do not know how you pronounce this and maybe I'll pronounce it correctly and it just doesn't sound right to me, but it's, it's spelled in a way that I'm like, the way I would say that out loud, I can't imagine that that's how it's supposed to sound, but it's like Tersiach, Tersiach. I don't know. It just sounds, it doesn't sound good. It's spelled, in case you haven't read it, it's spelled T-U-I-R-S-E-A-C-H. Uh, but anyway, he is a knight. He is going to be the new Sintrin king, marrying the Sintrin queen, Calanthe. Then we have Krakon Crate, who is the nephew to Skellige's King Bran. So we learned that Skellige's got a king and his name's Bran. And he was an original contender for Pavetta's hand. That's actually who she was going to marry had the whole thing with Dooney not taken place. And then there's Mousesack, who we talked about. He's a druid, magic, a friend of or a friend and advisor to King Bran of Skellige. And then there's a very minor character. His name's Dragbon Du. He's a scout and he plays the bagpipes. And it was his bagpipes that Kudkadak was strangling to make that noise to distract Pavetta. 
Uh, we learned that those allied with Skellige don't get attacked that much. And we kind of get examples of why. They seem to be pretty battle-hardened people. So I guess a lot of people or a lot of other um, countries would fear anybody allied with Skellige because they probably don't want to face Skellige in a war. They are discussing, like Croc is discussing um, battle strategy during the feast. So like that's his idea of fun during a feast where you can, you know, just laugh and talk and enjoy yourself. And he also has this very aggressive demeanor. He's ready to start fighting over very small things. Like when Dooney tells him, um, or he, Dooney says, not directly to Croc, but he says um, that anybody who showed up to try and win the princess's hand in marriage did so in vain. And Croc says something like a few moments later too. He's like, anyone or the last person that said, I acted in vain is now laying at the bottom of some bay. And um, <laughs> it's like, okay, you can calm down now. But yes, anyway, they, um, they are somebody that you would want to have on your side if you were a country in this world. And it makes sense and good on Sintra for having that alliance. Oh, and then this is really exciting. I love it when we get to learn more details on witchers. We learn about a place called Kermorhen, and it is a witcher settlement. It used to be a fortress, but not much remains of it. And witchers are produced there. And nobody lives there anymore except for Vesemir. Vesemir is a witcher that I believe I mentioned. <laughs> I apologize. I believe I talked about in the very beginning of the summary that Vesemir is Geralt's foster father. But yeah, he's the only one that lives at Kaer Morgan anymore. And we learn that witchers are produced there through something called Trial of Grasses. And it's not done anymore, as Geralt says. And that's where their mutations take place or begin through hormones, herbs, viral infections, and it's all done multiple times. And it apparently makes you very ill. And if you are resilient to um, these changes, like Geralt was, then you will be chosen for more complicated and much worse experiments. So Geralt was one of the people chosen for those experiments. And he tells Iola that he was the only one that survived. And that's actually what resulted in the loss of pigmentation, why his hair is white. So it's mentioned multiple times throughout the story so far, throughout the whole book so far, that he's got white hair. And we don't, and I, I haven't talked about this at all, but usually people with white hair are old. <laughs> but it's never mentioned that Gerald's an old elderly man. And in this sort of world, it doesn't seem like it would be a very common thing for people to be coloring their hair. <laughs> so it's not like a, we would have up to this point thought that Geralt was coloring his hair. So we get an answer as to why his hair is white. Uh, that also sounds like it sucks really bad that they performed those extra experiments on these people to try and, uh, I, I guess they were, I don't know if they were trying to make them more powerful or just to see how much they could do or but either way he, he says that they were much worse and it's just we don't get a lot of detail into what it was like experiencing that past 
becoming ill from it, but it sounds pretty awful. So uh, makes you feel a little bit bad or makes you feel pretty bad for them, especially for Geralt because he had to endure that. But I mean, he, he made it out. He's, he's doing okay. Uh, we know that witchers use two swords. One is silver and one is iron. And the iron one comes from meteorite. We also learn that they are the destiny of other witchers through the law of surprise, which we learned about already in this chapter. One last thing I wanted to mention about the details on witchers is that there's no new witcher signs in this chapter. We do get um, a familiar one, the one... One of the ones that Geralt used is called Ard. It acts like an invisible force, and he used that in the first short story against the Striga. But I like to point out every time there's a Witcher sign used because I think they're really cool. <laughs> but there were no new ones in this chapter, unfortunately. And I have been talking about in the past three episodes whether or not Geralt is an exceptional Witcher or if he and all witchers have the same um, abilities. Like if they all have all of these badass physical capabilities. And it's pretty much confirmed that Geralt is exceptional. I think witchers in general are able to do a lot more uh, physically than a regular human could. But I think Geralt can probably do more than the average witcher. And it's confirmed um because of the whole thing with the mutations with the trial of grasses he took to them better than most of the other witchers did um you know just like the original ones i guess that they apply to every uh witcher that they're training and mutating i don't know if that means everything we've read about him so far applies to only him or all witchers but yeah we know he's more capable and like like for example in the last story he was able to deflect a crossbow bolt with his sword. We don't know if that's something every witcher can do or if that's just Geralt. So this is kind of a shorter episode. looks like I've only been recording for not even 30 minutes. I think with this story, because it was a lot easier to write out my notes for the story than it normally is. Um, not that it's ever difficult. It's just a little tedious. But the setting is the same place and time throughout the whole story, ex except for um, the a voice of reason section. But I think that that made it so that it's not really as eventful. I think what happened seemed like a pretty big deal. The whole thing with the law of surprise. I think that that, the, I, I'd be very surprised if, um, I didn't mean to use the word surprise twice like that, but I would be, I'd be shocked if that didn't come up again in a future story or in a future chapter, if that has no importance on the story because it was mentioned in the voice of reason section, it was mentioned in a question of price or I mean, it was the main subject of a question of price. So it was a pretty pivotal chapter, but it was, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about it. So, yeah, in conclusion, will Geralt change his mind and return to Sintra for his child's prize? He has about six years to change his mind. And he changed his mind once, he could do it again. But would also like to know, are we going to soon or ever find out who this Yennefer is? He's mentioned her twice. She's got to be important. She's got to be a big deal. 
yeah, there's not really too much else that I took away from this chapter that's making me speculate about the story ahead of us. But it was another great chapter, another great story. Makes me very excited to continue reading. Yeah, I think that's actually a good place to wrap this up. Sorry, this is kind of short today, but eh, some of these might be longer than others. And I guess a short one here and there might be a good thing to make up for some of the ones that will probably be quite long. Anyway, um, if you have listened this far, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.